It is good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. If you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of Ephesians, the fourth, the fifth chapter. If I can get my piece of equipment incorporated here. I think I want to start down. Let's start verse 9. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord and having no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest the light. Wherefore he saith, Awake you that sleepeth and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Be not drunk with wine, where is an excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual song, singing and making melody in your heart unto the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another, in the fear of God. Being prepared moments tonight, I want to talk about being prepared for revival. You may be seated. Before I begin tonight, let me say what a great honor it is to be here, to be home I don't get to be here too many Sunday nights out of the year, usually less than five, but it's it's a great honor to be here tonight, and I thank you for praying for my wife. She is having a total knee replacement in the morning, and we do covet your prayers, and thank you for your prayers. Over probably the last eight, nine months, uh, I have had the privilege of speaking to multiple pastors over different places in the United States and speaking to them and talking to them about the heartbeat of every pastor and the desire of every pastor. There is a desire in America to see revival. I was just with a young man Thursday of this week in Chicago, and our conversation the whole day was about revival and God's desire for this end time. God is going to have a great harvest in the last day because his word has declared so. Now, there are those who would argue and say, no, there's going to be a great falling away, but that's not what Joel prophesied. Joel prophesied that there would be 
and the last days, the former and latter reign together. Whatever happened in the beginning will happen at the end, except it will be double. So if 3,000 people receive the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, then 6,000 is going to do it. Then 5,000 were added to the church in another place, so that makes 10. Now, we do have an Ananias and Sapphira, so there's a possibility that twice that's going to show up too. Everything in that New Testament church is going to happen in this end time, and there will be a great revival. But for that revival to happen... All of us have to be prepared for the revival to happen. See, the fact is that even though God has given us all the tools necessary to do it, if you and I don't believe it can happen, then we will not see it happen. But if it becomes the the the, the burning fire desire of our life to see it, there, it will happen and we will see the outcome of what God has to do in this last days. I have had the privilege of seeing what God is doing in other places. And I can tell you that around the world there is incredible revival happening. Because I have had the privilege of speaking to at least 14 pastors in the country of China that pastor churches of over 20,000 people apiece. They do it all underground. In hotels, they meet in... They can't do it above ground. They meet in hotels. They meet in homes. They meet out in the forest. They they meet in places that that you and I wouldn't think would be convenient for revival or, or an atmosphere for God to move, but God is moving. And there's incredible revival happening. And God is going to bring that to America because it was America that started this last revival at the end of time. But just as the first church began towards the end of its hundred first hundred years, started seeing a little bit of problem because people got their eyes off of their purpose and started focusing on what they got out of it instead of what they could give to it, they started having problems. We're seeing the same repeat of history today because there are people who begin to think that maybe the Lord is not coming, maybe revival's not going to happen, or maybe these things are not going to take place. But that's a lie. God is going to prove His Word. Scripture emphatically declares that there will not be a jot or tittle out of place, a dotting of an I or a crossing of a T or an accent mark above or below the line. It doesn't matter where it's at. It's all going to be fulfilled because His Word prophesies. Now, we can become part of it or we can miss it. See, we can be convinced that it won't happen and the odds are we won't participate in it. But if it becomes part of our life and our desire, then that will take place. A few months ago in studying, I I noticed a passage of Scripture that caught my attention. And as I was reading it, I 
I notice some little notes that are in one of the translations that I have. And, and in one of the notes, there was a statement made that that was quite a revelation. And when I saw that, and then the Lord started talking to me about it, I began to understand why there's a little bit of chaos today. The reason we're seeing chaos today, at least in America, not necessarily the world, but America, is because of the constant attack on the family structure. This church is defined by how healthy its families are. Strong churches do not produce strong families. Strong families produce strong churches. So we got a few things kind of out of balance at one time because we thought the coming of the Lord was just around the corner. I remember being in youth camp in 67 when they took back Jerusalem and I was convinced I would never see 1974 because it would be over before that took place. And as a result, we got our focus more on the wrong thing. And as a result, chaos started developing. You see, can I just be honest with us tonight? Now, I might get in trouble for some things I'm about to say, but hey, at 67, it don't matter anymore. I think I've developed hide about as thick as an elephant so I, I can handle the heat. But if you, if you really look at us, how dysfunctional we are. Structure admits how dysfunctional we are. Everything about us proves our dysfunction. As a movement, the structure of our movement proves our dysfunction. When I point it out, I get in trouble. But, hey, I'm at home. I'm just talking to you folks. Some people may see it, but it really don't matter because it's still the truth. You see, we have a children's ministry. We have a youth ministry. We have a singles ministry. We have a ladies' ministry, we have a men's ministry, but we do nothing to strengthen the home. We're going to focus on all the parts because we admit the home is wreck. So let's just pick up the pieces and try to make the pieces whole instead of addressing where the issue is so that revival can happen. And I'm here to tell you tonight, revival in America is not going to happen until we get our home straight. If we want to see revival, it starts at a dining room table. It don't start at the front of this church. You see, the generation I grew up in was a little different than this one. We started church at a dining room table and there were times that we didn't get to eat for a little while because mom and dad started praying and the Holy Ghost moved in our home and the, the, the meal got cold because we just had church at home. 
lot of places I go, I like to get there early. I don't like for them to pick me up. I'll ask them if I can rent a car. And I like to get to church early and park in the parking lot and watch how people come to church. I get lots of sermons. Because the fact is, we don't always come to church happy. We can pull in the parking lot with the kids hiding in the back seat, faces red, blood vessels bulged out, hands moving, and all kinds of demonstration happening inside that vehicle. And you can pull in a parking slot, open the door, and transformation happens instantly. The chaos disappears. The language changes and we'll walk in here and shout and run the aisles and go back and pick up where we left off on the way home. What we have done is we have relegated church to this building. And the only time you got to act like a child of God or behave like a child of God is when you show up here. And when you show up here, then you have to put your church on and you have to do the right things here. But you can go home and be an evil person. Saddest thing I ever discovered in studying human families in America is... When you go to church, they don't get better, they get worse. When 53% of Americans admit using violence in their families on a yearly basis, you go to church, it's 60 to 63%. When 33% of Americans admit using violence in their family on a weekly basis, you go to church, it's 40 to 43%. So we've used church... So we to to fix our problems instead of changing ourselves. So we come and we try to pray through over things instead of fixing the problem that we can't pray through over. If I cut my hand, I don't go get my Bible and read to it. If I cut my hand, I go to the sink and I turn the water on and I wash it out. And then I'd get some kind of antiseptic and put on it. When I was a kid, mom had this little black bottle. It had a glass rod in the middle of it. It had this orange stuff in it. She'd pull it out and start rubbing that glass rod all over your hand. It'd light you up like a Christmas tree. You'd start screaming, blow, mama, blow, blow, blow. It'd burn all of the germs off. It's called Mercurochrome. Then she'd put a bandage on it. A few days later, scab takes place and it's healed because God put healing in the body. You fix physical problems physically, spiritual problems spiritually, and soul problems through the soul. You can't pray enough to fix a physical problem. You can't pray enough to fix a suke or soul problem. You're going to learn how to change your emotions. Your passion, your desires, no one can change that but you. I've got to change those things. If I want those things out of my life, I'm the one who has to do something to make that different. And if I choose to, I can change my life, but I've got to make a decision to do so. Now, if there's sin involved, I've got to repent. But if it's not a sin issue, it's an emotional issue, praying will not change it. 
I can pray all I want. You see, the sad fact is 68 to 80% of all sexual abuse of children happens in a religious environment where people pray a lot. How does that happen? You see why God has a problem with us? See, Jesus said a heaven or hell issue is what you do to kids. I, from what I can find, it's the only time Jesus said you're going to go to hell. Be better cut your foot off, cut your hand off, pluck your eye out than to offend one of these little ones. God hates it. But we keep doing it. And we justify it. And then we don't understand why the move of God doesn't take place like it ought to. Because how's God going to bless me if I've offended the people sitting beside me? That'll never happen for revival to take place. My brother Charles and I heard a doctor make a statement one night that's, that changed my life. I'll never forget the statement he made. The statement he made in the hospital was there's no healing outside of a family environment. If you don't have a family, you can't heal. But if you've got a strong family, you can heal. Family is God's healing institution for the world. That's why this church is called the family of God. And the issues that we have in family, we drag into this place and we make this place the same as the other place because of the issues of our life and because we're not handling or dealing with these issues. If I want my life changed, then I've got See, we've, we've come up with, with the people I say I love. See, we've, we've come up with, with all kinds of ways to help people control their lives. Now we have covenant eyes, so you put it on your computer so your eyes don't go somewhere. Why don't you look at that guy in the mirror that you face every day and, and, and say to that guy in the mirror, you know what, you're not going to wreck my life. Why do we need somebody else to control us instead of us controlling ourselves? I had a, I know of people that have incredible structures of, of accountability in their life, but it becomes a crutch. Instead of me taking care of me, I'm depending on something else to take care of me, and these things don't work. If I'm going to change my life, i got to start recognizing and realizing that the problem is not outside. It's not some evil force trying to wreck my life. It's that devil I look at every morning in my mirror that I brush his teeth that doesn't like to behave. My friend, Brother Stone King, told me several years ago, 20-something years ago, he said, Brother Hughes, the biggest struggle I've ever had in my life with my flesh was between the ages of 50 and 60. I said, no, that can't be true. He said, yes. Mine didn't stop at 60. Here at 67, it's still just the biggest enemy I've got to address every day of my life. 
And it has this ability to destroy everybody around me. If we want to see those old-fashioned moves of God, go back and look why they happen. Because moms and dads were at war with each other. Homes weren't in chaos. They were safe places. When we get the home right, then the world changes. In Genesis, the third chapter, I believe it's the 14th verse, maybe the 15th or 16th verse, God gives a curse. And the curse is, he says to Eve, and childbearing and conception, thou, ha- thou shalt have great travail. Thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Well, I have a little note in my Bible that when I touch it, there's this big dissertation shows up. And when I read it, it was quite shocking because the translation is kind of wrong. See, we, we seem to think that, that God says to the lady, because of what you did, you're going to always have a passion for him. That's not what he said. What he said was, you see, the word desire that's used here is the same word desire in chapter 4 where God said to Cain, sin has desired thee. The literal translation has nothing to do with passion or lust. It has to do with control or manipulation. So God says to Eve, because of what has happened in this garden, like the same battle, a forward. Every male and every female is going to fight the same battle. And here's the battle that's going to show up in every home, in every life. And the battle is she's going to try to control him. And the instant she tries to control him, he's going to dominate her. So the curse of the garden is because of Adam and Eve's failure, our flesh is going to show up and become the deciding factors of our life unless we choose to live spiritual life instead of carnal life. If we don't learn how to control this flesh and get this flesh under control, then we will let our flesh dictate what happens in our house, and we'll have an ongoing war between a husband and wife that will torment kids, that will wreck society, that will destroy the world because we can't come to grips with flesh. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul gives us the answer to how this, this curse can be removed. And the way this curse is removed is discovering what the will of God is. And here are three things that are the will of God. The first will of God, or part of the will of God, is be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. The will of God is don't numb your life. Don't allow things to become numbing agents 
that numb life so you don't have to deal with life. And folks, it don't have to be alcohol. It don't have to be drugs. You can use a whole lot of other substitutes to numb life that do the exact same thing that drugs and alcohol do. Several years ago, I landed on a Monday. Leanne picked me up at the airport on the way home. She said, there's a pastor been calling all day trying to find you. And so on the way home, my phone rings. And I answer the phone, and it's him. He said, Brother Hughes, I need you. I said, okay. I just landed. I can come next week. No, no, I need you now. Now? Yeah, now. Just as soon as you get here, I need you here. So. You know, I just got home. I've been going all weekend. I, I can't come out. Please, I need you. My wife, hearing the conversation, says, it's okay. You can go. I said, you know, if I can probably come tomorrow, but do you ha- have any clue what that's going to cost? I don't care. Doesn't matter what it costs. 1200 plus bucks for an airline ticket to go the next day. So I get a ticket, get on an airplane, fly to another city, get off airplane to airport. He picks me up. We start riding to his church. On the way to his church, he starts telling me what wonderful people these two people are I'm about to talk to. Now, if they're so wonderful, why am I here? So I get to his church. I spend an hour with him, an hour with her, and an hour with them. Get back in the car and take some to the airport, fly home. He said, well, what do you think? I said, you wasted your money. He said, no, 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 I didn't waste my money. If I can save their life and their marriage, it's not wasted. I said, you wasted your money. He said, what do you mean? I said, you wasted your money. How long have they been fighting this same dumb battle? What a long time. He said, you really think this marriage is over? Yes, she says it's over. I said, it's a lie. It is not over. He happens to own the largest heating and air conditioning company in his town of several million. His income is 50 plus million dollars a year. She gets a brand new car every January. All she's got to do is tell him what she wants. New one's parked in the driveway. Whatever she wants, it's there. This whole episode is over the fact that he cut her allowance. She used to get $10,000 a month to spend. Now she only gets five and she's mad. I said, sir... Every woman in your church would swap places with her in a heartbeat. If you think she's going to get rid of that, that is not happening. But I don't care what they're saying. You've been hearing this same story. I said, you know, you've got a real problem. He said, well, but they're good people. They may be, but they're using your church to numb their lives. She's the prayer coordinator. When they have a problem at church, anybody calls her little, calls her, she gets her team together, they meet at church, and they pray until something happens. 
God's going to bless you in spite of dumb stuff you do. And you're going to think God don't have a problem with what you're doing. But I'm here to tell you that because you get blessed is not an indicator that God is stamping his approval on your life. He's the men's director. They can't get along at home, so they go take the church over. And that's what happens in homes in Pentecost. It's when families... I have no clue what I'm doing this for tonight, but I tried everywhere in the world to get God to let me go a different direction. When you can't get along at home, then you'll make church your substitute and church becomes your numbing agent so you don't have to think about life. The saddest thing about these two lies is they got a 24-year-old and a 26-year-old that are drug addicts and have been in, in and out of drug rehab at least six times apiece. Why? Because when you teach your kids to numb your home by coming to church, then picking up drugs and alcohol is not a big problem with them because they see that you're just using God as a numbing agent instead of a relationship. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. Don't numb life. Don't let life cause you so many issues that you choose to start numbing it instead of living it. But be filled with the Spirit. Singing and making melody in your hearts. Singing psalms and hymns. Learn how to sing when life has given you a blow. The darkest day of my life was in a hospital about 15 miles from here in the medical center. 1980, 1978. Standing in a hospital corridor or emergency room that morning, my wife couldn't have children. T.W. Barnes came to Life Tabernacle and said, if any ladies here can't have children, if you will come to the front, I'll pray for you. Lord will give you a child. So my wife was one of the first ones in the altar. Three months later, we're expecting a child. We're not supposed to have any. She's not supposed to have the ability to have any children. But a child is conceived. We were ecstatic. The church had a marriage retreat on top of a mountain and outside of Mena, Arkansas, Queen Wilhelmina Hotel, if I remember correctly. And we were there. We went, rode on a bus. While there, she went into labor. She's just six months pregnant. We had to be flown home in a private plane. Three days later, little boys delivered. They only lived five hours. And when that doctor walked through those doors and said, Mr. Hughes, and I said, yes. And he said, your son expired and turned around and walked off. I was devastated. I was crushed. I just 
I, I, I sobbed and kind of sagged. And I felt somebody's arms wrap around me. Dad was over there. Brother Calk was there. I, I thought one of them had come up and put their arm around me and was holding me. And when I turn around, there's nobody here. Just me and Jesus. And what I felt was what my brother described tonight. His arms wrapped around me. And I just felt him hold me for a few moments while I was in an incredible amount of pain. And instantly a song came. The joy of the Lord is my strength. When my wife came to from being put to sleep, from the anesthetic, I told her what happened. I can't sing. I probably could, but as a kid on the platform at a church, lady asked me just to move my lips and not say anything because I wasn't on key. And as a result, I just have a real problem singing. So music is not the thing I do. I, I just I don't play it in my car. If you get my car and the music on, you know I didn't drive it. My car don't have nothing on when you get in it. I like peace and quiet. I like to talk to the Lord and meditate and so. But I started singing that song to her. That was what gave us strength that day. Because He is our comfort. You, you don't have to numb life. When, when life brings problems along, you don't find some numbing agent. Don't, don't create some kind of substitute to try to figure out how to ha- handle the problems of life that happen. When life creates a problem, he's going to be there. Now, I, I had a hard time understanding how he could heal her to have a child for it not to live. But that was what happened. I remember the first day back at church, buried him on Wednesday morning. We had a funeral. My wife couldn't even go. And I was at the cemetery with my mom and dad and my sister and Brother Kilgore. We had a graveside, buried the little box. Got home. Sunday got to church, walked in the foyer of a church, and a lady come running up to me and said, Oh, Brother Hughes, I'm so sorry for your loss. God just need another rose in heaven. You know, Pentecostals can be really stupid. When did God need to take somebody's rose so he could have some more in heaven? God don't hurt you so that he can have something in heaven. I don't know where we come up with some of these things. God is the greatest father in all the world. He doesn't abuse us. He doesn't hurt us. He doesn't do that bad things to us. He treats us with incredible dignity and respect because he loves us unconditionally. There's none like him. None. You'll never walk out of his presence with your head down, your face red because you've been shamed, embarrassed, or humiliated. He's always there. He always puts those arms around. You always feel his comfort, even when you think you're alone. He's there. Don't numb life, but learn how to sing songs. Submitting yourselves. One, two, uh. Is there any way you can get those scriptures put up there? 
that, if there's one scripture that needs to be burned in your brain, that one ought to be burned there. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. Submission is a two-way street. God didn't demand that women be submitted to husbands without first declaring that everybody needs to be submitted. See, submission is the problem of America today. It's the curse of the world you and I live. It's actually the curse of the church because nobody wants to be accountable to anybody else for their behavior. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I don't have to let somebody speak into my life. I don't give anybody the right. I'm not submitted enough to somebody for them to be able to speak to me, and I would do. God has been incredible in my life. I, that song tonight, I, I, I cannot even comprehend how God has let me get here. I don't know how what brought all that to pass. This has been an incredible journey that he's let me walk through my life. But let me tell you about some of those things on that journey. In 1976, in February, I was graduating from Houston Baptist University in May of that year with my, my degree in math and Christianity in the aisle of the church. Brother Kilgore stopped me on a Sunday morning and said, Brother Hughes, I need to talk to you. It's okay. What do you need to talk to me about? Well, I just, can you hang around? Sure. An hour later, after everybody left, he comes over and says, I need to talk to you. Said, what's, what's happening? He said, well, I've been praying in school. I, I know it's the will of God for me to start a Christian school. I said, oh, but cool. That's an incredible idea. I think that's great. And you're going to start it. I said, I'm going to start it. Yeah, you're going to start it. I said, Brother Kilgore, are you sure? He said, yes, I prayed all night last night. I got an answer. I said, okay, you're sure? Yes, okay. I resigned the next day from work. I told him what I was going to do. 1989, in a hospital after Several problems of, of people in the church, Brother Kilworth stopped me in that same hall, said, Brother Hughes, you need to go back to school and figure out how we can help people. People got problems, we don't know how to answer. I said, Are you sure? Yes, sir. I'm sure. Okay. Some of you are terrified by what I'm saying. The, the look on your faces is horrifying. I gotta let somebody speak into my life. You want to see revival? You want to see a move of God? You want to see God do what He used to do? When we start getting submitted to each other and we let other people start speaking into our lives instead of us dictating what we're going to do and how we're going to do it, then and only then will we start seeing a move of God. It requires, first of all, don't numb life. Learn how to sing when you don't even have a song and you don't even know how to sing. You don't have to know how to sing to sing a song. I wasn't on key that morning, just me and Leanne standing beside that hospital bed in that hospital on the other side of town. But we connected to God that day. 
and it wasn't, but about 18 months later that he gave me sunshine. And that's what I named her as a kid because she woke up every morning singing. See, we can either complain about life or we can just learn how to say, okay, it doesn't matter what life has produced or what life is causing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm going to learn how to sing a song. It might not even be a good day to sing a song. The sun might not be shining today. It might be raining. Storms might be coming. There may be chaos all around. But whenever you can learn to sing, no matter where you're at or what's happening, and get past the bottle so you don't have to numb it to start with, if you don't numb it, you'll have a song when you don't even know how to sing the song. And when you get the song without numbing it, it's not hard to be submitted. Now, I've traveled all over the United States. Mark used to travel as much as I did. And people got really confused because they thought he was my son. And I have been to multiple places that have asked me how my son's doing. He's younger than me by four years. But he still has the right to say, James, I don't think that's a good idea. And if he did, I wouldn't do it. He knows that. Charles has that same right because he's my brother as well. And my behavior have the right to say this life just as well. Landon and Sarah have the right to say the same thing because my behavior can affect their lives. Terry and Sherry have the same right to say the same thing because my behavior can cause them consequences as well. So I have to learn how to say, okay, you know, my, my, my flesh, my, my human nature, it don't want to do that stuff. I, 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 I'm, I'm a kind of guy that don't want nobody telling him what to do. That's my nature. I took the test. I know what I am. I'm a bull in a china closet. I can run over things or plow it down if it gets in the way. I can get things done if I want to get it done. But I gotta learn to not let this flesh decide what happens in my life and how my life is lived. You see, some of you have let your flesh cause a lot of problems at home and there's been a lot of issues showing up and a lot of heated conversations and a lot of words you regret. See, I'm amazed at Pentecostals that cuss when they get mad. I'm just amazed. And we say things to each other like, why did I marry you? And we think words don't have an effect, but they're permanently etched because every time I start to sing, I hear those words just move your lips. They have a permanent effect. I can't get it out. It's, I've tried. I wish I had that rag called selective amnesia and I could run that one off so it wouldn't ever bother me again, but it's there. So I just have to learn to deal with it. It ain't going to wreck my life. It's not going to control me. I've learned to live life without music. Okay, 
That's just me. I'm not telling you that's what you, that's what I've had because of words that were said by people at church because this is God's family and this is God's hospital. If that world's going to ever heal, it's going to start right here with you and I getting our lives healed. And when we get our lives healed and we get the junk out of our lives, then our lives change. If we don't, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. And every man can quote verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband. But you never read the one before. See, my wife has just as much a right to know where I'm at, who I'm with, and what I'm doing at any time if she wants. My grandkids have the right. My daughter has the right. My son has the right to know where I'm at, who I'm with, what I'm doing. Because I don't want to be evil. And if I give this flesh one ounce of opportunity, it will become incredibly evil. So I gotta make a decision. No, that's not gonna happen. Now, that battle hadn't been easy because I've missed a whole lot of meals controlling flesh. Because my routine every morning is you're not gonna act like a jerk today. I can see you right now. You're not wrecking my life. When I go to bed tonight, I'm gonna look at you again and we're gonna decide who won. And if by chance you won, tomorrow you don't get breakfast, you don't get lunch, and you don't get supper because you're not wrecking my life. Do you hear me? You're not wrecking my life. Supper. If that don't get your attention, the next day you're not going to get breakfast, and you're not going to get lunch, and you're not going to get supper. If that don't get your attention, the next day you won't. Now, I haven't had to go more than two days, I can tell you that. It'll shut up real quick. Just starve it. And doctors say that fasting is the greatest way to take control of your mind that exists. It's amazing what's in the book. If we want to see revival, it starts by the New Testament remedy. And the New Testament remedy is husbands, act like Jesus. Love your wives as he loved the church and gave his life for it. Wives, Be accountable to your husband. When you get the order right, then the blessings start flowing. You get the order wrong, no blessings going to show up. Get chaos there, all of a sudden everything you touch is going to have a problem. But you get the order right, the blessings of God start showing up. All of a sudden healing starts taking place and lives start changing as a result of what we do. Please stand. I want to ask you to do something tonight that I've done all over America. And I can tell you as of tonight that Americans do not like it. And when I ask people to do it, there'll be people who will not because the tension was too tight coming in this tonight. And what I'm about to ask you to do might Eliminate some of that tension. And so what I want to ask you to do is I want to ask you to find your family. 
And I want you as a family, husbands, wives, brothers, sisters, grandparents, as a family, join hands. Make a circle. you don't have a family, this is the family of God. Pick one of these out and join it. And what I want you to do is have all hands filled, which means you're going to have to form a circle. You can't have a straight line. You're going to have to have a circle. And I want you to pray for one another. If it's just two of you, stand facing each other and take each other by both hands. And what I want you to do is I want you to pray a blessing into the life of the people that you have your hands touching tonight. I want you to pray that their lives become totally blessed. But you got to have a circle. So stand facing each other or make a little ring, and I want you to pray for one another. Will you do that? Gracious Father, thank you tonight for our families. Lord, I know Satan's desire is to destroy every home that's here tonight because in doing so, he wrecks this church and he destroys its ability to affect its world and to reach its world. So, Jesus, I pray tonight that you'd bless every man that's here to become the man he should be to his world, the father he should be to his children, the husband he should be to his wife. Lord, I pray that he would lead his home as the priest of his home and worship in spiritual things tonight. Lord, I pray tonight you'd bless every lady that's here tonight to become the lady she should be for her world, the mother she should be for her children, the wife she should be for her husband. I pray that she would learn to teach her children and bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord because you've given her incredible abilities to teach and to nurture. Lord, I pray tonight that you'd bless our children to become the vessel of honor that you have created them to be. Lord, I pray that they discover how valuable they are to you and all the talents you put in their life and that they would use their talents for your glory. And doing so, they prove what your will is. God, I pray tonight that you would bind our hearts together in the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I pray, Lord, that your Spirit would become the glue that holds our lives together and that we would let you become the center of our hearts and our homes and our lives. And we would be at home what we are at church. That when we would live the life in front of our children, we would teach them how to grow up in your glory and your beauty and your grace. We'd remind them of your glory and what you have done for us. We'd rehearse the incredible things you've done in our life. Thank you for every home. Build a hedge around every home.